It's a long way home from here I won't be back in a year Cause all the fallen leaves, the birds, the breeze Capture me again And all the lies you tell someone else Sure could use a friend And welcome back to another episode of Into the Wilderness. I'm your host, Dan Lonergan, uh, brought to you by Seawool Canada. Uh, as always, you can find the show on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, Anchor FM, wherever you find your favorite shows. If you're interested in learning more about the world of work-integrated learning and everything that goes with it, be sure to check out our website, seawoolcanada.ca, or our YouTube channel, Seawool Canada. Today, we are continuing uh, the series of episodes that feature the Student Work Placement Program, or SWIP, uh, and the delivery partners that take this money and put it in the hands of students all across the country in different industries and different sectors. Um, it's, it's derived from Employment and Social Development Canada. They work with several delivery partners, recognized organizations and associations that represent the interests of employees and industry. And I've said it before that the goal over the course of multiple episodes on this show is to feature guests from as many of these delivery partners as possible, uh, dive into a bit of the complexities of their industries, highlighting the research that they're doing, exploring the training that they have to offer to students, um, and explore where they believe student talent brings immense value. Uh, and today we stay in the wilderness uh, with Eco Canada. So I'm very, uh, very excited to welcome two guests from Eco Canada uh, today. First up, she's a UBC graduate with over 10 years of experience in human resources and is also the Senior Manager of Employment Programs and HR at EcoCanada. She's responsible for developing and executing the program strategy to ensure there's an adequate supply of qualified professionals to meet the needs of Canada's growing environmental workforce, as well as manage the HR and admin functions internally at EcoCanada. Sarah Casorso is on the show today. Welcome, Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me. And she's the Senior Manager of Marketing and Sales at EcoCanada, who works closely with internal and external stakeholders to understand the industry, employer, and professional needs. She's also responsible for marketing relationship building, which communicate the relevance and thought leadership of the programs and products within EcoCanada, promoting the development of the environmental workforce and sustainable economic growth. Yana Jay joins us on the show. Welcome, Yana. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you both for, for sitting down today, talking more about EcoCanada. I know we're going to dive into your, your SWIP program as well as some other programs that you've got. Uh, talk a little bit about, you know, the research that you're doing on the environmental industry, some of the trends you're seeing, some of the challenges. Um, and then we'll kind of take a student uh, lens approach with some skill conversation towards the uh, the end of the show. But let's let's kick things off as I normally do with, with the SWIP uh, delivery partners. Let's dive into your SWIP program and by now we've gone over the acronyms and it's kind of a running joke on the show of acronyms in the world of work integrated learning um, so tell me more about you know eco canada's SWIP program the type of employers that you typically work with or that you can fund with this money um, what you're seeing as far as roles or the students taking advantage of it just give me give us like a a kind of good summary of the, the SWIP program sure yeah so um as our name is Eco Canada, stands for the Environmental Careers Organization. So our focus is, is definitely on the environmental industry in Canada. And so we see most of our employers coming from that sector. Um, for example, there's, you know, earth sciences, energy, mining and minerals, wildlife, conservation, um, or other environmentally related or focused um, organizations. 
a lot of the roles that we see within those um, organizations are technically focused positions. So we, you know, we see a lot of lab and field work, uh, monitoring, engineering, research positions. That's, you know, generally speaking, what what we see the most of. And in terms of like the backgrounds uh, from students that are coming to us, it's a lot of the STEM backgrounds. Um, we we do see some arts backgrounds, but mostly it's you know 80 to 90 percent uh, students with a STEM background. Um, a lot of things I, I kind of want to dive into, and, and knowing that you've been a, a SWIP provider for a while uh, now, so you've seen you know this the program change and evolve specifically with the last you know 18 or 20 months or so dealing with with the pandemic what kind of changes have you noticed especially when it comes to things like like field work um, which you know i imagine does dominate the the industry as far as students going out into the field doing environmental studies has it has it impacted it in any way has there been a drop off is the demand still there, but the supply is shorter? Or what does that situation look like? Yeah, for us, with with the SWIP program in particular, we have seen an increase in demand. So um, the demand for work integrated learning um, for students who are enrolled in post-secondaries are the positions, there's a huge demand for it and, and there's a supply as well. Uh, in terms of, you know, have they been impacted by COVID lockdowns and that kind of thing, yeah, definitely for sure. A lot of um, work that may have been happening out in the field or at labs has not um, maybe been at the normal levels, but it, it hasn't halted. Um, and so a lot of work was done remotely. And so we have got some feedback that um, some of the students, you know, are missing out on the experience that they would be getting in the lab. That's, that's direct feedback that I've received. Um, but generally speaking, the demand and supply has been there, and that's one of the programs that uh, you know we've seen growth in over the last 18 to 20 months. That's really positive to hear, and, and I think it echoes a couple others similar situation where you know you take some some of the other SWIP providers too that a lot of the work is done out in the field, um, where you know working from home wasn't really a reality because of the nature of the work. And but that the opportunity was still there, the demand was still there, and it sounds like on both sides, both on the the employer side, but also on the student availability. Um, obviously, yeah, you mentioned a good chunk of these students come from the STEM background, which makes sense given the nature of those programs. You did mention though that you had some students come from the arts background. I'm just curious um, in those examples, you know, what kind of what kind of roles or were they just students? in an art program, but we're still passionate about environmental sciences. Um, and the reason I ask is because it's kind of it's, what I've noticed is it's becoming a bit of a trend where the name of the the organization. So like, you know, Eco Canada or environmental or in other cases um, like electricity, human resources or uh, trucking human like people can kind of get stuck on the name of the funder to think and maybe students too looking at this and thinking, well, I'm not in an eco program, I'm not in an earth science or a mining or an environmental program. So for those art students, what like what did that look like? Well, I, I mean, some of 
some of the art students might have like a social science background, right? And so they're going into more of like a research position or a monitoring or, or any of those things. A lot of it is a passion. So they might be in an arts background, but they have a passion for the environment. Um, and so they're aware of those types of organizations. But a lot of the organizations that we work with too, you know, cross multiple industries, really. They, they might not have that eco name that people are associating with like an environmentally specific organization. We've got lots of engineering companies. We've got lots of, um, obviously in Alberta, which is where we are, the, the energy sector. So a lot of the students are aware of these larger names and not necessarily, it's more about the position that they see and maybe the relationship that those organizations have with the post-secondaries to kind of create awareness that way. Um, so we haven't necessarily seen like the art students have a completely different position than somebody who's coming from a STEM background. It it really kind of blends. That's, that's perfect. And that's, that's what I, I love hearing that because I think it's, it's really indicative of, yeah, you can be in a program with whatever discipline and, and context, but if the role, if you're interested in the role, you're passionate about that kind of work and you have the skill set that fits, you know, what the employer is looking for, then, you know, does it really matter? The, the specific program you're in and that the funding is there irregardless of, you know, field of study. It's just, it's more specific to the role. And I know it's more specific to the employers that you can fund, but the barrier on students um, doesn't really hinge on, on the program that they're in. And that's, that, that kind of carries across all of the, the delivery partners. Um, as far as, as your industry goes, and, and I've talked about this with other um, delivery partners as well, and kind of that historical connection to work integrated learning. So, you know, I mentioned earlier that you've you've been delivering this funding um, for a while now. You're not one of the newer providers. So, um, but as far as like the environmental industry, and I have like my own assumptions and thoughts on this, but from from both of you, the historical connection to engaging with student talent has it always been strong? Yeah, do you see gaps or, you know, is is there any misconceptions there or is it, it pretty a pretty like well-oiled machine, pardon the pun for the, the oil industry, but um, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I mean, Eco Canada has been part of Will for almost 25 years now. We started um, creating programs in 1997. And so just to give you context, this, the company's been around for 30 years. So it was one of the first pieces that we kind of looked into, and that's thanks to our uh, founding CEO and President Grant Trump. And he identified that, you know, with industry, we want to make sure that certain that we can give people the right appropriate skills that they need and the knowledge they need to kind of integrate into the workforce. And there was a gap identified at that time. And there still is between, you know, students and their education and then integrating into the demands of the environmental sector. And so two programs were created, one nationally and then one internationally, um, kind of support at that time graduates um, from programs to get um, funded for their first position within the environmental sector, whether it be working within Canada or then or on international programs. And so I know currently on top of SWIP, you, you run other programs uh, as well. And so not just necessarily targeted to, to current students you know, engaged in will, whether they're, you know, they're looking for a co-op term or an internship term. term. Um, you have some for, for recent grads, you have some for, um, you know, like longer kind of term internships. Can, can you talk about any of those uh, programs? Sure. Um, so we have a, a number of other 
um, project that we, we call it our employment program. So we have our digital skills for youth, which is funded through Innovation, Science and Economic Development um, Canada. We have our Science Horizons internship, which is through Environment and Climate Change Canada. And then we have the Green Jobs, which is through Natural Resource Canada. And they are all part of um, a larger funding umbrella, which is through ESDC. And it's the, the YES funding, so the Youth Employment and Skills Strategy. So all of that funding that I just spoke about is targeting um, youth who are, you know, between the ages of 18 and 30, essentially, um, for their sort of first, you know, career after post-secondary. So um, both Science Horizons and Digital Skills does have a requirement that somebody uh, who is an intern has a post-secondary degree or post-secondary accomplishment. The, the funding with Enercan is a little bit more unique this time around. Um, they don't require that just because they, they've decided to leave it to the employer to decide what uh, education is required for, for the position that they're hiring for. That's an interesting approach. Um, that you kind of, yeah, they put it, they put it on the employer to kind of say like, does this individual have the skills that I'm looking for as opposed to a specific degree program? And, and I'm interested, you know, as we move forward and, and look at, you know, emerging trends, if that is something that pops up in a few more places. Um, yeah, just off the top of my head, like I think oftentimes like the CRA, for example, they they have a, a misconception or people have a misconception where, well, if, if you're not an accountant, you can't work at the CRA or if you don't come from an accounting program and, and they have a, a they've had a time trying to, you know, advertise that, hey, we have an HR department, we have a marketing department, um, but people just don't know about that. So, you know, it's it's similar of leave it to the employer to decide. And, and again, going back to that point we talked about earlier, if the if the student or the graduate connects to the position, then and feels they have the skill set to apply for it, then they should be able to. And it's kind of up to the, the employer to make that decision. Um, as far as some of those recent grad programs, and, and again, just as of late, uh, so kind of like the Science Horizons, and I think was it the Eco Eco Plus Pro? Is that is that another one that targets recent grads? So we do have programs that support students and then recent grads. Um, more on that transition on the skills and competencies and kind of setting them up for success down the line. Mm -hmm. um, from PRO, we've now developed EPT students, so we're a professional student, and that is for the um, students that are in their last year of whatever post-secondary program they're in. It's a six-month program, and so the idea is it takes you from kind of that last semester you have into your first couple of months of employment. And then from there, you'll be eligible for EPT, which is environmental professional in training. And the idea of the student piece is just to kind of have more of a someone guiding you through that transition. So our certification team touches base with them monthly, depending, you know, recognizing they have busy times as well. So they're not going to reach out when there's finals and things of that nature, but kind of providing resources. There's also a mentorship option towards the end of that six month period, but it's peer to peer. So you're EPT student would then be um, linked with an EPT. So there's someone that's kind of just on that transition can provide those insights, can kind of talk to you about interviews or resumes or, you know, I know when I graduated, it was kind of, there's so many options. How do you kind of figure out where do you want to take your next step? And so those are where those resources come into play. 
And then, of course, once you are graduate, there's EPT, which I mentioned. And so that has a five year training framework attached to it. The first few years are just more soft skills or power skills. So communications, project management, the basics. And then once you kind of figure out, mm, maybe I want to take my career in this direction and specialize in this area, there are some more technical options, whether through workshops, webinars, or partnerships that we have. And then that one also has mentorship, but that one is with um, environmental professionals. So the more mid to senior group. They all sound like really, really at the end of the day, really good networking opportunities for students looking to get into this field. And I mean, you look at mentoring programs in general, but when they can be specific to the industry, if that's what you're, you know, if you're a, a soon to graduate, graduate student, um, in my opinion, like it's a great opportunity to connect with working professionals in that space. Um, if, if I'm a student listening to this, like where, is that something is as that information I get through my school? Do I go directly to uh, like Eco Canada's website or is it like the application or their timelines or deadlines on, on some of those? Yeah, definitely. So there's two options. If you're part of an accredited program, which I'll get into a little bit later in the podcast, um, you would get that through your school. If you are not part of the accredited program, if you go to eco.ca. Um, you'll notice that our mega menu is by persona. So you'll see a student drop down and within there you'll see EPT student. It is a yearly intake. So the deadline for this session is November 30th to start for December and then it runs into so six months from there. So June um, is when that program will end and then it will start back up again next fall. Okay, so eco.ca November 30th. Students. If, if, if you're listening to this and, and you want to check it out, do it before November 30th uh, for this year's kind of deadline. Um, yeah, so you mentioned the, this notion of accredited programs, and I know that Eco Canada uh, does have accredited programs. But before, just before we get into that, because I want to come back to it in a second, um, as far as research, and, and Jana, I know this is kind of in, in that space, uh, well, and, and Sarah as well for both of you, um what what does this industry what are some trends that are happening right now I've, i know again I've, this is kind of a series with us so i've talked to other SWIP providers and, and everyone kind of has a different outlook depending on on the nature of that industry and, and more re more realistically how hard it's been hit uh by covid so as far as the environmental sector goes uh what are you seeing it's actually the opposite for the environmental sector. So I would say while other industries have seen that downturn, the environmental sector didn't. It was definitely a slowdown, but we're still projecting upwards. And at this point, we've kind of caught, de caught up and are exceeding the targets that we had initially thought were um, happening about two years prior. So just before COVID. Um, we have a research team that does labor market research on a yearly basis and provides updated stats. So it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody with the conversations that are happening at the federal level and even internationally that sustainability and environment is on top of everyone's mind and it's included more and more in different industries which means growth opportunities within the environmental sector um you know one in 26 workers in canada have jobs in the green space there's gonna be 172,000 net environmental jobs opening up by 2025. Uh, 98 of those come for retirement so I'm sure that's similar in most industries. This is that retirement rate goes up. We've got to scale up the youth, the recent graduates, as well as the mid-level managers. And then 75K is created to that expansion that I mentioned. Um, if you look at something like the blue economy, um, which is kind of a new area that we're looking into, there's 31 billion um, 
in revenue each year from the blue economy in Canada. So that's a huge sector that we're just even touching on right now. And those opportunities are showing up everywhere, whether it be clean tech, impact, and so on. And that also has to do with the federal mandates that are coming into play. And then there's critical shortages just across most roles, and some of them aren't in that traditional environmental that we had talked about earlier. So even you know construction would be one of them. Um, architects kind of fall into that. So that building sector is huge where we're seeing some of those gaps. And then of course you have more of the traditional, so forestry, cons conservation, um, and then management and marketing uh, is also a key piece in that area that we're noticing some of those gaps. And so I mean, it's it's positive to hear that you know it's been the opposite. It's kind of been a growth phase. Obviously, it still has its challenges though with like as you mentioned, retirement rates um, and kind of this shift in the traditional role to some of these newer roles. So you, you touched on you know skilling up youth and. It, it's it's a topic that I, that finds itself into almost every single conversation that I have around this notion of you know skill development, competency development, um, the the topic of you know whether you want to call them soft skills or professional skills or I, did you call them did you call them power skills? Yeah, so that's kind of the terminology that our uh, lifelong learning team at Eco Canada is transitioning to is calling them power skills. I like that. It's that is a that's a vast difference from soft skills and, yeah. and that notion to like turn that on its head and it's like they're not soft by any means uh they're power skills i really like that i might i might steal that at some point in time if it's uh if it's legally allowed to be stolen <laughs> go for it um but on that on that notion like what are you seeing i guess you know in general across the industry from students coming out of institutions or, or going through you know some of those programs that we talked about earlier from a skills and a competency or a power skills perspective uh what's what's there is there thing are there things that are missing um yeah what 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 are you seeing as far as that skill is there a skill gap basically is what i'm wondering yeah, we've seen, um, you know, students are graduating with pretty sound technical knowledge. Um, and, and so, again, the, the feedback from industry has been that those soft or power skills um, could use more development. And so, um, you know, when we're looking at the placements that we have and, and we do surveys before and after um, to see about those that development, that skill development. And so, you know, we're looking at communication, time management, working independently, um, adaptability. Those are those are skills that industry is demanding um, and that uh, we're hoping that the placements, you know, when it's successful, that the, the students are developing those throughout their placement. And the feedback so far from students and employers is that they are. So the on-the-job um, experience is, is providing some of that uh, skill development. We've also seen some some gaps, um, you know, on more of the technical side with like feedback from different stakeholders that, as an example, technical writing um, was an area for for recent grads or students that that could use some improvement. And so, from that feedback, we've actually been able to develop you know different workshops and, and courses specifically for that. So we've offered things like technical writing or grant writing workshops. Um, and so feedback from that has been really well received as well. So, you know, we're able to see some of those gaps and, and address it. I think it that rings true for a, a lot of 
other things that I've heard in talking with with other employers and and organizations that the technical knowledge is strong across the board for the most part. Yeah, you articulated the the writing piece, and I think that sometimes depends on the nature of of the courses that are put into a program and the emphasis that's put on you know investigative skills versus writing skills or or speaking you know pr presentation skills those types of things as well um but yeah it's it's these kind of these other areas the independent working adaptability which i think in the last the last year and a half the the adaptability piece especially on students i mean i i feel for students that have kind of had to go back and forth between in-person learning and online learning and now it's back to some kind of mix and then that doesn't always uh, represent what their working environment might be like if they have part-time jobs that are either working from home or having to go into a workplace or out on a field site it, they've, they've been through quite a bit um, and now to kind of have to come out if they're graduating depending on the labor market that they're looking at there's additional challenges being thrown at them but at least in, in this case what we're talking about today the opportunity is certainly still there um now as far as as these the training and the workshops and everything that you do you also do accredit uh, programs at institutions um so I'm, I'm very curious to know more about that the the programs that you have accredited how like what kind of role does eco canada play in that do you deliver some of these trainings or do you work with those institutions to build these things into courses? What what does an accredited program look or feel like? Yeah, definitely. So about a decade ago, um, it was identified exactly that, that skill gap between the technical education that someone's getting um, in post-secondary institutions versus what is asked of them once they enter the industry. And it's a challenge for the post-secondaries to keep up with the changing trends and the skills that employees are demanding from graduates while still providing that quality education, so that technical background that they would need. Um, so with our accreditation programs, we align their programs to the current industry needs, and we validate the environmental education excellence to help build that solid foundation for the next generation of environmental practitioners. So it provides an extra level of assurance, both I would say for the students, but also for the parents when students are going off to post-secondaries. And the role that ECO plays with that is we are the um, unbiased um, people that validate. So we take a look at the different programs uh, within post-secondary institutions and we align them to the competency skill sets that they would need based on the program. Um, and then we have a board that does that for us. So we, EcoCanada, do not do that. We don't want to have a biased opinion in it. So we have a CF board that um, go in person um, and take a look at all of the course material as well as kind of sit with the different professors that would be um, teaching those courses and then ensuring that, that there's that alignment and then they're accredited for seven years and then they have to go and do the process again. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so we've been doing that for um, 10 years now. We have 20 uh, institutions across Canada with 34 programs and then we've had over 5,000 graduates since the program started. And as, so I, I come from a, like a business school background and I know the value that accreditation brings both from like a student recruitment angle as far as schools, you know, using that accreditation to to attract students, but also from an employer point of view of of kind of the standards that are expected of the students going through those programs and and the connection that they have to uh, industry. So 
do you do you see employers in this space and and organizations in this space looking specifically to those programs or seeing the additional value uh, in the students that come out of those accredited programs? So the big piece for accredited students is that they get their EPT application waived. And so the idea is that they would funnel into EPT. That being said, that's where the employers see that value is to say, okay, these students have that competency skill set. They now have a certification that goes along with that to validate that it actually worked. The process um, brought them to the point that they need to be to be a valuable person within the organization. So I would say that's where that validation piece really comes in from industry. That makes sense. And that that's kind of, it's an added bonus too for the students that, you know, hey, like this is this, that EPT training is included as part of the, their program. It's not something that they, you know, have to then think about external or an add-on that it's built right in. Um, and, and whether or not they, they realize that, I guess, on day one when they start, hopefully they do if they're passionate about this industry, but I think probably as they go through their program and they learn more about it, they come to realize the value that that has. If um, if a school or, you know, practitioners just knowing our membership and, and who listens, if they're interested in, in knowing more about your accreditation program, I'm assuming it's on your website that they can yeah. find it? It's under our website um, and we, they can send contact us. We have a whole accreditation team as well, or they can find it within the mega menu with all the details as well as an application guide that kind of takes them step by step through the process. Is there a, cause I know, I know common questions around that, like the first time application general amount of time that it would take to kind of go through that process. Ooh, I wish I could give you an exact answer. <laughs> that was a bit of a longer process. And a lot of that has to do with the validation pieces. Yeah. And of course, COVID added an extra layer of time onto that because they have to be on site to validate. So it's kind of organizing the comfort level, especially I know in some places in Canada, post-secondaries are getting more and more virtual again. Um, and so our professors on site for that validation piece, but overall it is collecting a lot of data that gets reviewed and then someone has to actually go to campus, meet with the professors and ensure that it is what they're looking for to give a proper stamp of approval. Makes sense. Makes I think that's that's pretty status quo for other accreditation programs, at least that I'm aware of. Um, but I do like the seven year piece that I imagine would be attractive because I know some are much shorter than that and having to go through that process every you know three to five years can be a bit a bit uh, time consuming as well. So the seven year piece is interesting um, from that, but also knowing, you know, that's what helps that you have to go through that reaccreditation to keep things current, to keep things up to date. Um, and it, I was I was reading, I know we talked about this earlier, I was reading a, an article that came out in McLean's yesterday, just talking about some new, new courses that had popped up in this space. Um, and one of them was, was called, I think it was out of Trent, university it was called apocalypse now no reference to the movie uh but it, it kind of touched on this notion of the course in and of itself teaches students that the awareness or the the attention that things like natural disasters receive are so fleeting in the sense that they get immense attention in the moment and for like the immediate days that follow and that it quickly fades and people quickly forget about those things because and i guess it, what, what they teach in the course there's this desire to get back to normal 
or to return to normalcy. And I don't think that's ever been more true than what what the world has been going through of, of just wanting to get back to normal. But my opinion on that has always been there's things that we've learned going through this that I hope stick around. Um, thing like habits that have changed, behaviors that have changed that I don't think we necessarily need to rush back to what we want to call normal. Um, and it was just a really interesting spin on a on a topic of environmental awareness and media uh, that that they're running there. And there was a handful of other courses in a McLean's article. If you're listening and interested, just you know go on their website. I'm sure you can find it. Um, but I think it's you know leveraging other institutions in this space. And and I'm assuming there's kind of a networking between your your schools that are accredited, um, where they they like likely communicate with each other and and probably look at what some others are doing as far as their programming goes. Um, to develop some of those new courses or, or new ideas. Um, and I guess on that note, like if if you could get a message out to institutions or into academia around the future of in, the environmental industry, the workforce, programming, anything at all, um, you know, what is there is there one thing that you would say if if uh, if they're listening? I think, well, there's two. I would say work closely with industry. So to identify those gaps, um, it is changing so quickly and industry is broadening with the sustainability aspects. So I would say that's a key piece. The other one I say to facilitate, and we've noticed it at Eco Canada, student presentations with organizations like Eco Canada that have those resources available that do help support that transition for the students from their education into industry. Um, because we have that touch point with academia as well as industry and the government. So it allows us to kind of support that piece. Um, and I think that's a valuable asset for students. Sarah, anything on, on your end? No, I think Yana summed it up nicely that, uh, yeah, organizations like our, our own are, are really out there to, to be, uh, to create those partnerships. And so we're, we're here for all stakeholders, students and faculty and industry. Perfect. And and so I, I know we've, we've mentioned it a couple of times, but uh, if people want to find out more about any of the stuff we've talked about today, so whether it's your SWIP program, uh, Science Horizons, uh, EPT, uh, accreditation, it's all eco.ca. Um, and on their you know, specific contact information, I'm sure, is, is listed out. Uh, any anywhere else where people should kind of keep an eye if they're keen to know more about the work that you're doing, social media, anything like that? Yes, we have um, on LinkedIn, Inst- well, all the all the usual LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Um, I would say our website is probably one of the best places to stay in contact. We have a newsletter that goes out monthly, so I highly encourage signing up for that newsletter. Um, and yeah, we have blogs, we have research reports that come out. So it's a great kind of resource for thought leadership, but also just kind of seeing the direction that uh, the industry is going in. Perfect. And I know I know that Seawill, as well as in talks with, with Eco Canada to arrange kind of a, a dedicated session with our members. So again, if you're listening, if you're a Seawill member, keep an eye out uh, for that in the near future. But uh, on that, I just want to thank both of you for taking the time today to talk more about Eco Canada, your programs, kind of dive in a little bit to the industry and and what you're seeing from a skills point of view. I think it's incredibly valuable to have this feedback from industry um, and for for practitioners in the will space to, to just always be aware of 
the different things that are happening and what's going on and where where there's opportunity for students um, as you know as they move through this this journey that they're on right now and, and try to face some of the challenges so thanks for coming on again so again my guests today uh, Sarah Casorso and Yana Jay from Eco Canada and until next time uh, stay well back in a year Cause all the fallen leaves, the birds, the breeze capture me again And all the lies you tell someone else sure could use a friend